Hello and welcome to episode 302 of the Fabulous Paltoncast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. Uh, Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello, and Hello. welcome back to not classic era Pelton cast. <laughs> you know, no one had any take on it being a Pelton classic era <laughs> That's Pelton how you cast. know it wasn't. Exactly. That's, we got the, the, the listener said everything by saying nothing at all. Well, hopefully we did get a lot of response on my beer takes. Really? So let's crack open what we're drinking this week, because I am excited about it, despite the, uh, the beer drought is it were the beer drought? Yeah, you really you declared you're making declarations here. Wow, look, you say that as if you've never made declarations on the pod. I just give every take. <laughs> it is, but it is the best and worst of times for beer. But I was excited when I spotted this at Beer Star the other day. So tell us about what we're drinking this week from our good friends at Silver City Brewing from Silverdale. Washington. Yes, that's we've moved back to Washington. We're gonna have a Washington beer next week as well. I can guarantee. All right, it, nothing from Oregon. This beer could not be the official beer of the Kraken. It's from the wrong state, <laughs> and it is the Play Pretend Cocoa Peach Blonde Ale from Silver City Brewing. And here's what they have to say about it: From the days of building forts to late night games with friends. Play Pretend stirs the imagination with notes of peach and nectaring, finishing with a... Sp- <laughs> I like that I demanded to read this week. <laughs> <laughs> finishing with a sprinkle of silky coconut and vanilla to reach fairy tale levels. This imaginative blonde ale is all about liv- living happily ever after, at least until your glass is empty. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I don't know I really about- botched it. <laughs> 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 That's why they pay you the big bucks. It's all, uh, all bravado with reading the about the beer this week. I I don't know if I, I got know so about, distracted by it being from Washington State. I don't know about the story of this beer, but the peach blondale, cocoa peach blondale. That's an interesting combo. I, I'm not sure those are necessarily two things, coconut and peach. I would pick to go together. You see, but, I pour differently now. I've changed how I pour beers so that you can get the head out. Yeah. You you believed in that theory? I mean, when somebody somebody said, do you want to be drinking all of that? Do you want that in the beer or do you want it to come out? That spoke to me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That one guy from Budweiser that Raj had on the, the, the Men in Blazers podcast many years ago. Life-altering for you to hear that secondhand from Budweiser. through me. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yes. <laughs> Does that change your No, no. I just love... I had no idea where that information came from. But I love that it came from the Men in Blazers podcast via somebody at Budweiser to you. Probably, probably misquoted back to me. Probably. It's definitely... Uh, you know, it's not, not not literally quoted for sure. Budweiser could be the official beer of the Kraken. <laughs> that, is, that is very plausible that they could be. Although maybe they're not, you know, it needs to be a bigger rival of the state of Washington. Oh, for it to make yeah, sense. That's, that's true. So I did get... Sponsored te- by the University of Oregon. I did get a text basketball. from the listener, Ross Seiler, who agreed with me that oh, wow. there is... You know, a distinct lack of exciting seasonals here in the uh, the late winter, heading into early spring. But it's definitely a late winter because it snowed today. I know. <laughs> what, what do you? What did you call this time period? A beer? 
I, I trough a beer trough. I'm not sure. Exactly. You said beer trough, and I just right there, my brain went straight to the kingdom. Like, <laughs> well, understandably, I mean, Husky Stadium could also qualify, but I guess there wasn't beer when there were troughs there. So yeah, it I mean, you said beer trough, and it, definitely, I did not think of it being a down season because I said drought, and you were like, no, there's plenty of beer available. This is not a drought. But then I used drought on the podcast when I said it. Uh, but the third Pelton brothers, Zach Jabal is someone in the industry did weigh in on this since I was summoned to give my take. I don't disagree with the general premise that this time of year is a bit light on compelling beer styles. On the colder and wetter days, an imperial stout or barrel-aged beer can really hit the spot in particular, which is what I'm thinking of as like more classic December beers, I would say. Uh, in particular, I think it's a great time of year to dive into sours, in particular fruited sours, almost a preview of the bounty to come in the summer. Urban family brewing is particularly skilled at this style of beer, but you can find good examples from a wide array of breweries in the area, such as Fair Isle, Lucky Envelope, Holy Mountain, and Garden Path. Hello. Cheers. There we go. So maybe this makes sense why I'm down at it, because I don't drink sour beer. So it kind of checks out. If this is the time of year to be drinking sour beers. I have a certain brewery I'd be happy to give away some stouts from right now. All right. <laughs> well, let's toast to uh, a few things this week, as we already did prematurely. Barrel aged for multiple years. First off, congrats to third Pelton brother George Carl, Swin Cash, and Marcus Johnson, the three Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame finalists with ties to Seattle. Carl coached the Sonics from 1991 through 98. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was a memorable period. Yeah. Uh, Swin Cash was with the Storm from 2008 through 2011, including the 2010 WNBA Championship. Also, while you were at the Storm, oh, she was yes. there. Yeah, we overlapped. And Marcus Johnson was the Sonics color analyst from 1994 to 98, as well as returning for parts of the 2007-08 season. Yaka! And is the voice of Sonics broadcasts. From our childhood. By the way, two people on the that voice list. of Son I mean well, with Collabro. <laughs> the two of them obviously. Okay. But he's he's an instrumental part of it. It can't be just Collabro. It's gotta be Casey and Marcus. Is he in Milwaukee now? He is. There you go. Oh yeah, he's still a, an elite color analyst in the NBA. Has incorporated analytics into his broadcast. Really? Which is fun. Oh yeah, you said his son is like an NBA tweeter. Yeah. There we go. I mean, maybe multiple, but but one in particular stands out. Uh, yeah, so he maybe and, multiple sons are NBA tweeters. Yes. Okay. Wow. He, I pity him. He and having known you, <laughs> not really in the same vein as me exactly. Uh, he and Kevin Calabro reunited at the Blazers Bucks game. That was the last game I attended in Portland oh, nice. last month. There we so go. That was that was fun to see. Uh, we Marcus is net. We need to get him on the pod at some point. Marcus Johnson. Yes. All right. And probably Swin too. Uh, We'll see if they get elected to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I don't think that's got to be the criteria. We have a little thing called standards. <laughs> I I got to be honest. I was very surprised about George Carl. I kind of thought the book and the book tour had ruled him out of the Hall of Fame. Really? Even though, like, on sheer number of wins, his resume is pretty pretty clearly Hall of Fame worthy. I think everybody forgot about everything during the pandemic. Yeah, that worked out well for him then. Uh, next up, congrats to L OL Reign star Megan Rapinoe and the rest of the U.S. women's national team for settling their equal pay lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation for $24 million, contingent on completion of a new collective bargaining agreement with the USSF. Uh, Rapinoe told ESPN, there's no real justice in this other than this never happening again. With the settlement of the working conditions in this settlement, which contingent upon a CBA that will have equal pay going forward, there's no other way to look at it than just a monumental win for women's sports and women's soccer in particular. Hell yeah. So awesome to hear. Was there, so is that $24 million being distributed back 
two players who were yeah, participants you, on the USWNT. I, I believe it's like up to 500,000 per player. Nice. So, yeah, certainly a considerable sum for them. Who were they? Was there somebody arguing on the other side? The U.S. Soccer Federation. The U, who is in charge of the U.S. Soccer Federation? Because I saw Joe Biden tweeting positively about this. I don't know that Joe Biden has oversight. I'm not sure exactly how that works. There's a board that they elect a president. Uh, and and the new president was also, I think, on, who just took over, is was relatively instrumental in making this settlement happen. The new president was more open to the idea of a Correct. settlement. Okay. So, uh, great news with that. Uh, Without reservation, uh, staying in women's sports, congrats to Pac-12 Player of the Week, Bailey Klingler, and Pitcher of the Week, Gabby Plain, both honored based on the Huskies' 4-1 and run in the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Tournament that we'll talk about more here. Oh, yeah, we are. It's Plain's second consecutive selection as Pitcher of the Week, the ninth of her career, which ties her with Jen Spidiace for second most in school history. Needs a mere eight to catch Daniel Laurie, who's 17 Pitcher of the Week selections are second in conference history before behind uh, recently graduated UCLA pitcher Rachel Garcia with Jesus 18. Christ. It's like Aaron Donald or something. <laughs> well, she didn't spend as long at UCLA as Aaron Donald did with the Rams, who is not retired, by as, the way, as it turns out. It feels like Rachel Garcia was there forever. It, it did feel that way, certainly. Uh, next up, it humbles me to do this. <laughs> Inofficial Felton <laughs> Gas correction. Which I have already given on Twitter, but in case you didn't see that, just listen to the pod. No, I am not gaslighting you. The Portland Dippers did not win LS Cup last year. The curse is not that powerful. I was simply conflating my memories of John Hollinger celebrating their Western Conference Championship win next to me on press row during the Gonzaga-Alabama game with the final where Portland lost to NYCFC in a shootout. So mercifully, it is not the case that both the Super Bowl and MLS Cup champions are arch rivals of Seattle teams. Uh, lastly, this week, we're pouring one out for Screaming Trees frontman Mark Lanigan, who passed away Tuesday at age 57. With that, should we get into Coach's Corner? Oh, wow. It always comes so fast now. I, I don't know when you're expecting it to come. We've got no hot takes. We've got no chicken. Like it's ahead of coaches' uh, hot takes on the list. If we do have hot takes, okay. Well, maybe next week we'll have some hot takes about baseball. Perhaps so. I'm pre- <laughs> I love this teaser. It's when we finally have Alex Rodriguez on, <laughs> and he announces the move. He hasn't been voted to the Hall of Fame though. Oh, good point. <laughs> we can't have him on. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the unfortunate thing about Super Also, yeah, we had her on. She's still not a Hall of Famer yet. <sighs> what are you even doing, so? Uh, okay, so anyway, season's, season's winding down for basketball. Uh, I actually, in true uh, uh, coach fashion, will be missing my second game of the year. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the last game of the season. Every single, basically, every single time I coach, I miss the last game of the year. The previous one was like February 29th as the pandemic was descending on Seattle, Washington. Felt like we were like driving back on February or on March 1st, driving back like straight up into a war zone, right? It felt like coming into like 28 days later, driving back into Seattle from Bellingham. Because it wasn't in Bellingham at all. Strictly in Seattle. That's really what it felt like. I mean, it was like you're driving through Kirkland and you're like, it's over there. (laughs) Million plus cases later. Um, Anyway. Uh, so go, I'm going to be missing the final game. So this weekend is my final weekend as coach. Wow. 
And I think, as I mentioned last week, we were playing the, the fourth grade team. We were playing the only team that we had lost to. Right. Correct. So this was a revenge game. And I know that we'll be talking about hockey and soccer later. And revenge is best served tied. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was possible. I mean, they only keep score by quarter, so it's very possible to it's tie. It's like in the All Star game? Yes. So, no eliminated there. And, and also, I knew that I was only going to have seven kids in this game uh, because of, again, a thing that most professional coaches have to face. Midwinter break. Yep. Uh, midwinter the, break seems to have hit the Kraken pretty hard. The all-star game aligns with midwinter break pretty nicely. Yes. So I knew that I would be going into the game with only seven kids. It was like the game was starting. The clock was... There's literally a clock ticking down. I'm like watching the door to see who's coming in. It's like ticking 30 seconds. Blue, there's similar seconds. stories in the ABA. What? Similar stories in the ABA. The coach watching the <laughs> <Yes>. door. <laughs> Players are getting IVs on the bench. Um, I'm like, get this kid a Bud Light and get him in the game. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, but the clock is ticking down. No players are arriving. So I have five players that I'm coaching. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. This is the starting lineup. My team is on the floor. <laughs> Whoever is there, they're like, who's playing? And I'm like, everybody's playing. There was a time when there were only four. And I was like, I guess we're going to have to go four on to five. And I also was like, put me in coach. No, no, that is not allowed in games. They never, you can only do that in practice. Never let me play. <laughs> So uh, our defensive stopper wasn't there. And I'm like, I, he is a crucial part of what we do on defense. Having one player who plays way more aggressively than everybody else may have injured somebody in this game. I think you might have seen him at practice. He, uh, I guess he was he responsible for someone nearly getting injured in the practice? <laughs> that might have been somebody. I think that was me when I passed the ball. Oh, that um, was you, yes. But... But defensive stopper needed him out there, right? Because this is a good team that we were facing. Was not there when the game tipped off. Uh, and then also our best score, right? So we're without two of our best players when the game starts. And they came out pretty aggressive. And I'm just like, okay. And really the scouting happens. There's not a lot you can do pregame. But the first quarter, right? The first five-minute chunk of the first quarter. That's before figure out what the matchup should be. That's when I do all of my coaching, really. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I need this kid on this kid, this kid on this kid, or whatever, right? This is where we're really breaking it down. So those five minutes, I'm doing a lot of scouting. It's very, very intense. These two players show up after the, after the five-minute sub-break, and I'm like, all right, Landon, this is your kid. I'm like, you do not let him. They had they had once they had a pretty good team in general, but there was one player that was kind of like he he was driving right past us every single play, and I'm like, whoever we have guarding him, it's not going to work. And I was like, Landon, you need to shut this kid down, right? <clears throat> Got there. Was not to be heard from for the rest of the game. It was wow. actually it was pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, he played an incredible game, uh, considering that there were seven kids who had to play basically an entire game. They were all quite exhausted. The other team had a full ten. Uh, so it was a close game back and forth. I think the first quarter we tied six to six. The second, these are not high scoring games. The second, they, they kept getting to the hoop, but like missing shots or whatever. The second quarter, I think we tied four to four. Third quarter, I had everybody there and was able to sort of like get the roster that I wanted to have, right? It was the first half was spent adjusting because kids were showed up late. So it was sort of like finding the right combination of kids that I wanted in the game at a certain time. Finally, by the third quarter, was able to do that. As we get to the fourth quarter, or so we win the f third quarter, I think, eight to four. And then 
as we get to the fourth quarter, I'm like, okay, the way that I want this structured is there's two five-minute chunks of the fourth quarter. And I'm like, okay, these are the five kids. I'm going to go with a slightly weaker lineup to the, for the first five-minute chunk, then like the five best players for the second five-minute chunk. Now, maybe I should have adjusted this. I might have maybe needed to recognize that these kids are fucking tired because there was only seven of them. The other team puts out their death lineup because they were sort of balancing like half of their good players and half their good players in the like first or second chunks of each quarter. They put out the lineup of death in the beginning part wow. of the fourth quarter. Went for the jugular. And I'm like, oh, it was actually like, I feel like there was coaching going on. I, I kind of appreciated it because it wasn't like they just sort of had the same five kids where they were like, you go, you go back and forth. Like they intentionally were like, these are our five best players and we're putting them in at the start of the fourth quarter. Then they have their weakest five players to finish the game. So like the start of the fourth quarter, they go up, whatever, six, nothing or something like that. And it was sort of like, just contain, get me to five minutes. I was like, give me to five minutes. Let me get Landon back in. Right. <laughs> I was like, we just, did you call for the stall? I, I seriously thought about it. They kept driving and shooting and I'm just like, slow down. I kept yelling at them to slow down. <laughs> I was like, slow it up. Like, when they got a rebound and the other team didn't score, I'm like, just, there's no shot clock here. You know what I mean? Let's go four corners if we have to. It's just, like, slow it up. But they came out, I think they went up 6 nothing in that five-minute chunk. Because was, it was a great lineup that they had out there. Then they have their weakest lineup against our best lineup. So I did the death lineup in the second half of the fourth quarter. Came roaring back all the way, and it's... Uh, uh, Whatever, 6-4 or something like that. So we scored two baskets. <laughs> Get roaring back. Roaring back. Scored two baskets. Maybe it was 8-4 uh, by that point. A after the like end of the fourth quarter, we're coming down. There's one minute left. It's 8-4. to four. Our big man has the ball under the hoop. And he has a shot wide open that would have won us the game. And it clanks out with like oh. 20 seconds left. Wow ended in a tie there was some other stuff though where it was like we got called for a five second violation didn't know that was a rule what what kind of a five second violation five second in in the paint like offensive huh yeah no i was informed five, that that was a rule. Key. i i'm pretty sure that they just made that one up on the fly the other thing was and this is how i have to i have to maybe i'll go back to the league and dispute this um in the league that I don't think they're keeping track of protest. Who's, who's winning and who's losing. No, official protest. There was a ball that bounced off the front of the rim, hit off the top of the backboard, and then in. That's a clean ball in the NBA, right? It's not out of bounds when it hits on the top of the backboard. I believe that's the case. I believe it has to go over the backboard to be out of bounds. But don't quote me on that. But so if it hits on the top of the hoop, on the top of the backboard, that is a, that is a live ball still. That's not out of bounds. I think so. So we got called for that. They I also don't know that the NBA rules are consistent with whatever league it is. They waved off a bucket. I'm like, can we just give this kid a fucking bucket here? Yeah, there's not that many of them. Right? Can we just give him these two points? They waved it off. That, that was pretty frustrating. There was another one where they called, I think, a, a carry, and a kid like threw up a shot, and it went in, and they waved that one off too. We had two baskets waved off wow. in this game. So we ended in a tie. In, in a very hard-fought tie. I was pretty excited, though, in that fourth quarter when it was like they came out with that lineup, and I was like, A, oh, fuck. Because I didn't see who was out there at first. But I there was, like, before one quarter, like, the kids tried to trade on the court, and I was like, uh-uh. And so, like, my kids are just like, oh, these kids moved or whatever, so I'm going to defend him. And I'm like, 
Hell fucking no, there you're not. I'm like, Landon, this is who you're defending. No matter how they move, that's who you're defending. I tried to call when I realized that that kid was kind of better than the rest in the, or he was their star player or whatever. In the first quarter, I tried to holler for two kids to switch mid quarter. That was not a good idea. <laughs> it was easier when you had the wristbands. You could make it happen then. Well, no, I could, no, but I had to do this from the sideline. I couldn't call timeout and change the wristbands. Right. So I had to holler. I was like, Luke, I was like, Luca, tra- trade places, trade, trade defensive assignments. You can tell them to trade wristbands, and it's a more literal thing to them than yes. understanding the assignment. I was trying to get Luca to be defensive stopper there in the first quarter, but he got it, and the other kid just didn't really. He didn't get that that was what was happening, and then it ended up with two of them defending one player in a wide open layup. Well, so. well. Anyway, uh, there's for the record, five sides of the backboard, front two sides, bottom and top are considered in play when c- contacted by the basketball. Okay, I'm gonna con- I'm gonna contact the city. Of- I'm gonna contact the city of Renton. <laughs> You let them know. Just go straight to the mayor. Take it straight to the mayor. Armando. They oversee it, much like Joe Biden oversees <laughs> the U.S. Soccer Federation. Very similar, I'm certain. Well, we're running short on Coach's Corner. We'll we'll see if we get a Coach's Corner for the game that you miss. Uh, or I've, still, I've still got one more. One more week. But But next week could be our last, is what I'm saying. Well, maybe we'll have uh, Armando Pavone on to talk about it. <laughs> you had to look up his last name? I, I thought, I actually knew it. Yeah, uh, you, the signs, they were ubiquitous. <laughs> Let's go into the rundown. I want an official official apology from him. <laughs> apology. An official correction of unwritten, the outcome of that game. Official written letter. Uh, it's been a rough go lately for the Kraken, oh, whose losing streak hit six games on Tuesday oh, night Lord. as they lost at home to New York. That was the Islanders, as it turned out. It was not in my last last week. That was it was the Islanders that they were playing this week, not the Rangers. Uh, they did have a relatively close game Saturday against at Calgary, and Mark Giordano's return to face his former team, the Flames, who are contenders. But uh, their their other losses in this stretch have all been. By multiple goals, so uh, struggling Kraken right now. Uh, have a couple games this week, and then some a little bit of a break after they face San Jose on th- Sunday on the road. For the first time last Thursday in 2022, we had some Sounders ac- action as they were playing in the Concacaf Champions League at Matagua, and uh, we did not get any goals. <laughs> it was kind of a drab game, to be honest. There were a few chances in the first half, a lot of them for Matagua, as the Sounders were shaking off the rest, uh, but not a lot of dangerous chances overall in that one. The Sounders have generally drawn when they've gone on the road in the first leg of these CONCACAF Champions League matchups, but have usually gotten a goal. So this does put them in a slightly worse situation where. They now need to win Thursday to advance in regulation. A nil-nil draw would send it to PKs in the return leg at uh, Lumen Field, which will be at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday. And then any other draw, 1-1-2-2, anything above that, would advance Matagua via the away goals tiebreaker, which I'm not sure if the away goals tiebreaker factors into Ren Youth Soccer. For basketball? Or yes, Ren Uh with Joao Paulo unavailable, as well as Josh Carbondo when he's on. Yeah, as well as Josh Atencio and Danny Leva. Sixteen-year-old homegrown product Oded Vargas got the start in midfield, becoming the youngest American 
to start in CCL play. Went the full 90 in this one. Uh, Kellen Rowe also filled in at left back for New Who, came off the bench to play the last half hour. He was kind of late back from playing for his national team. Uh, Seattle na- native Jackson Reagan, a defender, made his Sounders debut after signing a contract last week. And that game in Honduras was played behind closed doors due to a CONCACAF punishment for Matagua related to, quote, security incidents that happened in the final of last year's CONCACAF League champ- competition where they won their way to uh, advance to the Champions League. Uh, after the Sounders play that game on Thursday, which, you know, certainly they'll have a first-choice lineup for, then three nights later on Sunday, they'll be opening the MLS schedule on against Nashville at home. Uh, expectations running pretty high for Nashville SC after they finished tied for second in the East last year before making the move to the Western Conference this season. Of the eight MLSsoccer.com writers who picked uh, that I saw, seven of them picked the Sounders to finish atop the West, and the other had Nashville, uh, with a few others putting them second, some down third and fourth. Uh, their plus 22 goal differential last year was slightly better than the Sounders' West leading plus 20 market, and they added veteran New York Red Bulls midfielder Sean Davis as a free agent to that group. So, again, high expectations for Nashville. Also in Sounders news, last Wednesday they officially announced, we talked about this because Sounder at Heart had reported it, plans for the Sounders FC Center at Longacres repurposing the former Boeing commercial airplanes office space on the site that was once Seattle's racetrack with two turf and two natural grass fields. And uh, a lot of amenities go along with that. So very exciting as the Sounders upgrade their facilities. Now, can you describe where that is in terms of our childhood? (laughs) I don't think it's a place that we went to a lot during our childhood. I mean, we went to Long Acres, but... Where is Long Acres? So you know where the uh, the Embassy Suites is in Tequila? Okay, now we're talking. It's, now we're talking. It's in the same general vicinity as that. So we're going a little bit farther south than Starfire. Correct. Okay. They've moved from Tequila to Renton. They're now in Renton. Who? Much, they, they will be headquartered in Renton when this opens in 2024. The Sounders. Yeah. Wow. So it'll be. This the, is not only the home of the Seattle Seahawks, but the Sounders as well. And my. Personal basketball team that I coach? All three of those things. The Cavaliers, wow. yes. The Cavaliers. Cavaliers and power. <laughs> and Mayor Armando Pavone. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of funny, like, the Seahawks, like, welcoming them to Renton. Because the, the Seahawks are, like, at the entire opposite end of Renton uh-huh. from where the Sounders are going to be. The Sounders are moving, like, a mile, less than a mile. It's yeah. like a three-minute drive between Starfire and basically Tequila, and the Seahawks are basically in Newcastle. Exactly. Yes. But technically, <laughs> they are both ahead of the curve. Hey, that's what Mayor Armando's about. Squeezing it in. Um, as long as he squeezes in that victory for my team <laughs> based upon the ball being legal when hitting off of the top of the hoop. Do <clears throat> you think they listen to the pod in the uh, written office? The... Uh I think we would have gotten a cease and desist if that was the case. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's positive, home of the Super Bowl 48 champs. Oh, no, no, that part. That part. I'm saying that talking about children's basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, quick OL rain update. They hired Nick Pereira as the first GM in franchise history, a veteran indoor soccer player. Pereira currently plays for the Tacoma Stars of the MASL, which is a league that exists. And was player coach the last three years before stepping down from that role. Also spent the past year as executive director of the Washington Youth Soccer Association. So Headquartered you, in Renton? 
I don't know where the Washington Youth Soccer Association is headquartered, alas. If the Kraken shows where it was, it'd be in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Storm News. Subert officially signed for her 19th season with go. the Storm on Friday. <clears throat> when we learned that she will make, this was a report first by, I think, by Windsider, that she will make the veterans minimum of 72141 this season after playing the last season, the last two, for the Supermax of 221450 So we knew she was taking a pay cut to fit everything in under the salary cap. We didn't know that she was going to play for literally the minimum amount possible. What, so what moves are they able to make with this money? You know, it's tough to exactly pinpoint because there's so many different moving pieces, but certainly the trade, some of the moves that added a bunch of salary were signing Brian January as a free agent and then trading Katie Lou Samuelson, who was still on her rookie contract, for Gabby Williams, who's making about twice as much. So, you know, you, even if she was like taking a pay cut, but not this dramatic a pay cut, you probably would not have been able to make one of those two moves. Are are they able to compensate Sue in other ways, or is that something that you think is part of the plans for the storm? Well, that would be a salary cap violation, so no. <laughs> I don't think that's part that of the plan. That would be a salary cap violation. Thank you. This is the dumbest shit ever, though. Sue Bird shouldn't have to take a pay cut because of the salary cap. I mean, it is something that Sue has talked about. My uh, ESPN.com colleague, Michelle Vopel, who also, a toast to her, uh, was selected to the Naismith Hall of Fame as one of the winners of their media uh, awards, which is uh, was awesome to see. Left out again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not deserving of that. I... Name didn't even come up. <laughs> Couldn't even win Pelton Cast. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even Pelton Cast MVP. Come on. <laughs> she wrote last year that this, an idea that, and Sue talked about this today uh, when I talked to her, was if you had an exception where if it was someone who had played, you know, X number of years with the same team, some percentage of their salary would hit the cap, but it's more like a designated player in soccer idea where the, you could pay them more than the amount that would hit the cap. And I think that. Something like that probably will eventually come to the WNBA, especially as they try to reckon with this whole prioritization situation that we talked about last week. Because if you're trying to convince Brianna Stewart not to play in Russia and where she can make a bunch of money, well, the way to do that is to pay her a lot more than the current WNBA maximum salary, right? So how do they do that? You have a designated player system. Why don't they just raise the salary cap? The owners aren't collectively ready to spend that much money at this point. As many of these teams still lose money on an annual basis. I mean, but I do this sense- is the one scenario where, again, the my base complaint there would be that by doing that, it would be too labor-friendly, and they could never agree to such a thing. This is the one sport where their ha- teams have folded recently. Teams are not selling for a billion dollars, but the value of these teams is going up, and what you're paying players is going to have to go up as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we're at an evolutionary stage right now for the WNBA, and Sue kind of has talked about this at a crossroads between, you know, she came into the league and it was a certain way for a long period of time, and players are coming to the league and their expectations are different. There isn't the same, you know recollection of a time before there was women's professional basketball in the u.s which like that's sue's entire childhood the league wasn't founded until she was 16 Mm -hmm. it's very different if you're sabrina unescu and you've grown up knowing the wnba your entire life i think there's a different expectation about that and i think that is helping propel the league forward and the other thing that's happening is there's a changing of the ownership and some of these new ownership groups that are coming in are not looking at it from 
quite such a bottom line standpoint. They're looking at it as more of a growth investment. Uh, Mark Davis taking over the Aces. Uh, we we talked about this with the the size owning the New York Liberty. You know, these are wealthier individuals than have owned a lot of WNBA teams in the past. I didn't know Mark Davis owned the Aces. Yeah. And has invested a lot in them, and you know he he after Liz Cambage had those comments about the maximum last a couple of weeks ago, he was like, "Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. We should be paying the players more." Man. so I think some of it is going to I'm be. I'm kind of in on Mark Davis. His support for the Aces has been phenomenal. I think there's going to be kind of a battle between some of the other owners who have been in the WNBA longer, and some of the newer owners, and I think the Storm's ownership group has generally been kind of on the side of wanting to push the envelope and invest more in the game to develop it. So I think they're going to be on board with that growth. Who's their ownership group right now? It's uh, Ginny Gilder, Don Trudeau, and why am I pulling you on the th- third person? Lisa Brummel. Where, where do they come from? A variety of, they were local season ticket holders. Lisa worked at Microsoft for a long period of time. But Don this, also worked at Microsoft. billionaires. No, so they don't have the resources, certainly, of the Davis, Mark Davis, and the size, which is going to be one of the issues. Of you don't want to let, you don't want it to be a case where there are these dramatic differences in payrolls between teams. But I do think there's going to be, you know, a gradual, and it's going to take a while because the CBA can't be reopened until I think 2025 is the first time it can be reopened. But uh, I work. We're making progress. We're moving in the right direction. I mean, I think we're about to see a radical difference. I mean, if you're a person who's, let's say that you're not a billionaire, right? Or there just aren't NBA teams, NFL teams, baseball teams really for sale all that often. Right. A WNBA team is getting into professional sports is a great way to do it. If you're, let's say you're a hundred millionaire, right? You're an extraordinarily wealthy person, but the idea of owning a a professional, an NBA team is too steep for you. I mean, in the past, where have those those individuals gone to invest? MLS. Well, at some point, MLS is dependent as their model has been on expansion fees. Like they're at th- they're at twenty nine teams. Yeah, there at can only point, be so many teams in Cincinnati. At some point, they're going to run out of expansion teams at MLS. And yes, then I think WNBA, and we've seen we've talked about this. They're like, can we do Louisville and Lexington? The two expansion teams in the NWSL this year: Angel City FC, San Diego. That's a situation where that league is growing. They've been smaller than the WNBA in terms of number of franchises. I do expect we're going to see expansion at some point in the relatively near future in the WNBA. What are the prime markets big... for expansion in WNBA? Well, the Bay has always been the great. Like, this Have is they a place never that's... had a team there? No. Ever? Never. I mean, Sacramento, wow. but yeah, that... uh, the San Jose Lasers in the ABL were a Bay Area team, and... Uh, Joe Lake of the owner of the Warriors was an investor in the ABL back mm. in the day, but have, have never gotten that together to have a team there. There's a move to put a team in Oakland in, I don't know if they're still calling it Oracle, but now that it's vacated by the Warriors, uh, Toronto is a place that I think would be a great market for a WNBA team that hasn't had one. And then maybe even going back has there, to it. Has there been a team in Canada yet? No. Interesting. So, you know, we'll going, see. Going back into some of the markets that they've folded from. Yeah. I think eventually that's going to be something that what hopefully are, you'll what are the Houston? Houston would be the big one, yeah. Is there a team in Texas at all? Dallas. Oh, there still is Dallas. Yes. Okay. Do you have any thoughts on what they what Oracle is called now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I haven't paid attention to old basketball. So I should get into 
<laughs> yeah, you really should get into that. <laughs> Seems like a new angle for you. <laughs> what is the name of the Warriors' current stadium? Is it, uh, is it the Chase Center? It is the Chase Center, yes. Okay. Correct. Have we done this with Luke on the podcast? I don't think we have done that. We've only done college team nicknames. Oh, uh, we haven't interviewed you about a... I think we did interview him one time about... Did we? Yeah, corporate branding. Oh, maybe we did. <laughs> yeah. All right, should we talk about UW softball? Absolutely we've been waiting. We, we didn't do an emergency pod on Saturday. Huskies, as I mentioned at the top, went 4-1 at yeah. the St. Pete Clearwater Invita- inter- Invitational. I've got it. You can stay. You here. just can't interject. Beating three ranked opponents... They crushed Tennessee 11-0 in LSU 9-4 on Friday when we were feeling like, okay, Huskies number one in the nation, confirmed. <laughs> they run-ruled Tennessee. They did. And they also Who was LSU? Ranked. No, they didn't run-rule LSU. But they did. They beat them badly with Gabby Plain not pitching that one. Then they squeaked out a one nothing win Saturday morning behind a Gabby Plain shutout Hello. against unranked Texas Tech and came back came from behind for a 7-6 win over Oklahoma State Saturday night. That was the most thrilling of these games without question before on Sunday morning, very early West Coast time, suffering their first loss of the season against number 15 Clemson 2 nothing, with Plain allowing the first two runs for her this season as uh, the UW bats went quiet. That's why you never play on a Sunday. I, you can't play never on Sundays. Never on Sundays. I mean, not scoring at all, right? I mean, I know they only scored one run, uh, right? That was against Texas Tech. Yep. But like 11 runs, 9 runs, 7 runs against all these other teams. There's no way that Clemson's pitching is that good. I, I mean, Clemson, I think, does have a particularly strong top pitcher. And then I think also, you know... There was a little regression to the mean. No. But yes. There's no regression to the mean. The mean is seven runs a game. I don't know if you've seen softball. The scores are usually not that high when good teams play each other. The regression to the mean is UW being a top five team in the country. Well, they are still ranked number five. That's the mean. The mean is at number five. It is. But you're still going to lose some games as the number five team in the country. They are now behind the four remaining undefeated top teams, Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida State, who beat UCLA and Florida, and now the top-ranked team in the Pac-12 because UCLA dropped a pair of losses in St. Petersburg, including that Florida State game. Uh, Huskies back to the West Coast this week for the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. We'll play San Diego State and Loyola Marymount back-to-back Friday night. Saturday afternoon versus number 19, Missouri, and number 15, Northwestern, and then wrap up Sunday morning against Iowa State. Sunday morning? <laughs> yes. You know, you have to play on Sunday most weekends in <laughs> softball, so they're going to have to figure this out. You know, men's basketball, like, there's not that many more Sunday. I don't know if there's any Sunday games left on their schedule, so they're fine, except for the playing on the other days of the week, which turns out to be not so great when you play good teams. <laughs> this is Pacific time, right? <laughs> These are Pacific time, yes. Okay, it'll be fine. This, is, this tournament's played in California. It sounds like four run rule games right there. I don't know if I'd go that far. They don't run rule that often against ranked teams. It clearly happened last week. I mean, this is... Also, some of those teams fell out of the rankings. So I was glancing around the scoreboard for college softball, and I was like, oh, all the teams the Huskies played keep losing all these other games. They're losing other games. <laughs> some of them are still ranked, I Demoralized think. Demoralized after you don't play. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was like when everyone it's lost the week hangover. after they played the Seahawks. Yes. Yeah. I mean, after you play against Gabby Plain, you're just rethinking your entire decision to play college softball. Wow. Uh, 
that demoralized. Well, this is this is the do you, true or false. This is the best UW softball team since Daniel Laurie's senior season. I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, they did lose in the championship, like, what, four years ago? It was, like, 2017 or 2018 that they made it to the College World Series? I remember that. And we did an emergency pod previewing it? <laughs> we did an emergency pod on Husky baseball and softball? Yeah, we did. That was good times. <laughs> I mean, look, we're a softball school. ZTF, all but said it. Oh, yeah. And uh, you needed ESPN Plus last week to watch it all. Although, sadly, Husky's not on ESPN Plus. I think a lot going forward the rest That's of the season. The rest until, of the the, uh, until the tournament, though. The tournament, those games will be on the ESPN family of networks. Well, we need, we need to be following this closely, though. I mean, I know, that, I know that we will be, but, like, this... I, feel need like keep tw- I need to keep tweeting to remind you to watch these games. Husky softball has been something where it's like, we pay some attention throughout the year, and then the tournament comes, and it's a lot of attention. But Correct. this is, like... Must see TV for the entire season. I mean, it's Gabby playing senior season. Yeah. So we're all in. I mean, I, I wish that we could go back in time and remember Daniel Laurie's senior season in the same way. Some of us remember. I mean, I guess I didn't follow like the regular season that closely for Daniel yeah, Laurie's. That's what I'm saying. Senior se- Was that actually, I'm not sure. Was that her senior season that they won the World College World Series? I'm not sure. I remember her coming back but after I, that. But I interviewed her that year. Wow. So. Not for the Pelton cast. Well, the Pelton cast didn't exist yet in 2000. Nine or whatever Wait, really? year that was. That was before the Pelloncast? Yeah, the Pelloncast didn't exist until 2013. Yeah, we're on episode like 3,000 or something. We are on a high number of interview episodes. I interviewed her while working for the Storm. She was honored as one of the women of inspiration that year. Mm. And the Pelloncast did not start until after I was at ESPN. I think you're aware of that. Wow, okay. So, going back to women's basketball... Where it was a strong weekend for the UW women who hung tough with Adia Barnes' Wildcats, number eight Wildcats on Friday, losing that 51-42 and holding them to 37% shooting. And then, on senior day, finally broke through for their first Pac-12 wow. win under Tina Langley by beating Arizona State 74-69. Uh, Fifth-year seniors Nancy Mulkey and Missy Peterson were honored, honored pregame. And Hilly Van Dyke had 18 points and seven boards to lead four Huskies in double figures in that game. They close out the Pac-12 regular season this weekend in the Bay. Their lone matchups against Stanford and Cal after those teams' trip to Seattle was canceled due to UW's COVID outbreak. The defending national champion Cardinal looking to finish undefeated in Pac-12 play currently 14-0 after holding off Oregon's upset bid on Sunday. I'm probably going to see them covering the uh, Spokane Regional uh, this year for the uh, NCAA Women's Tournament, so very much expecting to see Stanford there. The Cal Bears 2-8 in conference play, so that's a good opportunity on Thursday wow. for the Huskies to win back-to-back games all right. after not winning any all season. Now to UW men's basketball, who got a bit of a reality check in L.A. last weekend. On Thursday, it was a 79-69 loss at USC that was not as close as the final indicated. Huskies trailed by as many as 23 after USC opened up a lead late in the first half. Continued fighting, but never really threatened to win in that one. And then Saturday at UCLA, held the Bruins scoreless the first five minutes and 12 seconds. Should have just left the court at that point. It was That was the high point. They led up through the 12.06 mark of the first half uh, before UCLA started the second half with a 17-1 to run <laughs> and led by as many as 37. <laughs> Terrell Brown Jr. shot 5 of 17 for the field in that one, and the Huskies lost Emmett Matthews Jr. at halftime with a concussion after taking a flagrant foul in the first half. 
having already played without Dejon Davis for a second consecutive weekend, although the Bruins were without their starters, Johnny Juzang and Cody Riley. Uh, Langston Wilson made his first start Saturday in place of Davis. So, run-ruled Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Gabby Plain had run three starts and only gave up two runs over all three of those starts. I mean, she's made, I think, five starts this season. And has given up two runs. Correct. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm Come on. Oh, anything else to say about last weekend, Husky? <laughs> I mean, I saw... Actually, I did see some of it. I saw some of the USC game. Uh, thankfully, I missed all of the UCLA game. Yeah. I, I went to 8-Bit in Renton, home of the Sound... Future home of the Sounders, I guess I should say. Yes. Uh, and definitely played a pinball machine that had Detlef Shrimp on it. People and, were and very gung-ho about that on Instagram. They got a lot of engagement. is real. <laughs> Which was an important message in when that game in came the out era in the 1990s. Of Detlef Shrimp. <laughs> I was looking at it and I was like, wow, they managed to cram a lot of white players onto this, right? Like that they made the decision to go with Luke Longley, and I have to pull that up. Yeah, the Luke Longley was the most remarkable part of that. That was like a finals. Nick Van Exel. Oh, no, I guess not because it's, it's Luke him Longley, versus... Clyde Drexler, Penny. Uh, Jason Kidd, Jerry Stackhouse, and Del- I guess there actually aren't that many white players. Luke Longley is definitely the... I mean, Delaf is an odd man out there relative to to those guys, but I think everybody else on there is an all-star except for Luke, at some point other than Luke Longley. He's sort of just kind of defending Clyde Drexler there, though. Right. But you could have chosen another shot. I'm sure that was not the only contested shot that Clyde Drexler <laughs> took all season. <laughs> I'm confident. I know the Getty Images archive wasn't as strong back then, but they could have found something. I, do you think these are real images? <laughs> What do you mean? Or just like, th- so this was like a real contested shot. Clyde, Luke Longley I don't know about Clyde that Drexler. one specifically. That's the only one that plausibly is like both players together <laughs> and they photoshopped it. Was, did Photoshop exist in 1997? I don't really know when the origin of that was. I assume it did. Quite something. So, so it was for the NBA's 50th anniversary. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Wow, 25 years ago. Precisely. That's we celebrate interesting. The NBA at 75. And was Luke Longley part of the NBA 15 team? No, he did not oh. make it. Nick Van Exel was also snubbed <laughs> from the NBA. Shrepp cruelly, Nick cruelly left on. Was J- Jason Kidd was in part of it? I don't think he would have been part of NBA. I mean, he had only was been he in part the of seventy five. Yeah. Oh, he was on the seventy five team. He was okay. there on Sunday. Yeah. Back to you, Mets basketball. No, I... You want to keep talking about the pinball machine? <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep talking about the pinball machine? <laughs> I mean, it's good content. <laughs> Uh, we played NBA Jam, not NBA, the the post NBA Jam after they lost the license to NBA Jam. The sequel NBA Showdown is what it was. So the NBA Jam like it's the game. it's the console that has both the NBA Showdown and NFL Blitz, right? Oh yeah, no, it's yeah. top notch. I, I, I played that at eight bit. I'm not a stranger to eight bit. Who is who is the the Seahawks quarterback? Is it Kitna? Uh, John Freeze. It was, it was Stan Gelba. Kitna, I don't think it's Warren Moon. Hmm, interesting. Neither of us played as the Seahawks. Okay. I played yeah. as the Buffalo Bills with Doug Flutie. I played as like, oh gosh. I don't think they had a good quarterback. We've got a lot of Luca off mic on this oh, podcast. No, just the Steelers. Cordell Stewart? Oh, with Cordell. Yeah, slash. Uh, yeah. And Jerome Bettis got caught every single reception. There you go. Played with the boss. So the Huskies kick off a busy six-day stretch Wednesday oh, 
at Washington State and rescheduled game before hosting the Cougars on Saturday and then hosting UCLA on Monday night for a pair of rapid rematches against those two opponents. Uh, WSU is still a game back of UW in the Pac-12 standings despite ranking 89 spots higher. It's <laughs> being so much better than them. <laughs> in the Ken Palm rankings, the Cooks have a plus 4.9 net rating in conference play to the Huskies minus 5.4. And again, they have a worse record. Uh, a 62-60 loss to USC on Sunday on a tie-breaking jumper by Boogie Ellis in the final seconds was Ouch. emblematic of Washington State's harder luck season. Five of their eight conference losses have come by five points or fewer, including three of the five during their current losing streak. Cook's stifling defense, number one in Pac-12 play, number 19 nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency, but Wazoo has struggled to score opposed to a league-worst 45% effective field goal percentage in conference play. Seattle native Noah Williams' efficiency has suffered in a high usage role, and they're really lacking in playmaking with score first Michael Flowers at point guard, though he's a 37.0% three-point shooter, so definitely needs to be watched beyond the arc. It's it's kind of interesting because in, uh, I'm going to use the term a typical Pac-12 season, aka one where there's no good teams, this would be the type of season where Wazoo could potentially win the Pac-12 tournament and sneak into the NCAA tournament. Yes. Like, th- that's kind of what their resume looks like to me. It but would be like one of those Colorado teams back in the mid-2010s. Freaking Oregon State last year, right? Yeah. Like, but when you look at the Pac-12 as it is now, like... I mean, last year it turned out that you Pac-12 did have a bunch of powers. It's just none of them revealed themselves <laughs> until they got to themselves. Indianapolis. <laughs> but, the, like... They were the inverse of the Huskies on Sunday, were Pac-12 teams in in the Indianapolis vicinity revealed themselves after the first five minutes. Uh, they just, they, they managed to be a pretty good team that has had a hard luck season in a year when it's the wrong time to be that kind of team in the back 12. Like I just don't, I don't see Wazoo beating Arizona or UCLA or whomever right. in the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, I feel like maybe if they got to the championship game, they'd have a, a case. Their net would they're be pretty strong. Good. They're not. Good. They're not making the tournament unless they. Win. Yeah, I mean, they, their record is. I started close. like it's too close to you for Wazoo basketball because of Mike Sean. <laughs> or his IG posts are that strong. Whatever. Like, I mean. Again, the visceral hatred that I have for Oregon, right? At I, least it's the state of Washington. No, I I, I understand. I'm, I understand your position. So I'm like, I prefer them. If you had, if you asked me who I would rather have, if one of those two teams had to make the NCAA tournament, I would obviously choose Wazoo over Oregon. Yeah, without you know? question. Which the Kraken have made other choices. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know if they specifically, if the University of Oregon was sponsoring them. The most important thing is, as Zach Chabal messaged to us, no breweries in the state of Washington. Not one. He rattled off like eight breweries that are doing great stuff this time of year. Specifically sour beers. Sour beers. Uh, I mean, look, if it wasn't going to be them, it would probably be a a national beer. I got to go drink some of those sour beers, though. Not, not on the Pelton cast. I, since I'm buying the beer, it never ends up being sour beer. Except for one time when I had to because I lost the fantasy league final or something. What was the reason I had to drink sour beer on the right. pod? All right, our University of San Francisco update. They suffered a 69-64 loss Thursday at St. Mary's. Uh, a, you know, Losing on the road to an NCAA tournament team no shame Luke is wondering why we have a San Francisco update <laughs> oh, he, he clearly has not been listening you don't it's know about Todd Monken dude <laughs> <laughs> Todd Golden sorry Todd Golden Todd Monken, Todd Monken was, a, was somebody we were monitoring he was the coach of Southern Miss <laughs> I, was, I was 
whenever you said that name, I'm just like, who the heck is this? I, this it's probably some dude that has to do with, the, like, the Seahawks. Did, did Todd Monken take another job? He was the Bucks offensive coordinator for a period of time, right? Offensive coordinator at the University of Georgia. Huh. There you go. Uh, USF then bounced back to blowout Pacific 104-71 on Monday. Got a big one coming this Hello. Thursday as they host number one Gonzaga. So, You're not excited about future UW head coach Todd Golden? He's not future, future Arizona State head coach future Todd Arizona. Golden. <laughs> uh, Todd Monken has been around the block. This coaching career is like... Starting in 2002, Oklahoma State, LSU, Jacksonville Jaguars, Oklahoma State, Southern Miss, head coach of Southern Miss, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, when they played uh, UW in the bowl game, right? In the oh, that's the wait. Why am I forgetting on the, the name of the chicken place? The Zaxby's Heart of Zaxby's Dallas Bowl. Heart of Dallas Bowl. Yes. The, I wanted to say Bixby's was, for some reason. Then he was the Browns offensive coordinator, and now he's the currently the Georgia offensive coordinator and national champion. Todd Monken, to you. Well, there you go. He didn't get a job out of it like uh, Dean Lanning did. Uh, quick note on Husky football, the spring preview, concluding spring practice, set for April 30th at 11.30 a.m. So we'll see. Hopefully no day NBA games that day. I can get out to uh, watch the, the Huskies. Did he get fired as the Southern Miss coach after going 9-5? and five No, he and took the job in the NFL, the offensive coordinator. He the left NFL for job. an offensive yeah. coordinator job. Wow, to coach Jameis. Yep. Uh, not much this week on the Seahawks, but defensive, new defensive coordinator Clint Hurt was introduced to the Seattle media last week and made it abundantly clear that he does not plan to continue dropping edge rushers. That's, it's almost like become like... I, I think that it might have even gotten too far. Oh, it's gotten way too far. In, in how much... Because to me... People are blaming is, Russell Wilson getting injured <laughs> on the Seahawks dropping their edge rushers. People are blaming... The fact that they lost a bunch of close games on the Seahawks dropping their head rushers. It's like, okay. People are blaming the fact that it snowed during on February 21st on the Seahawks dropping their head rushers. All of these things. It's not the... They've, they've taken the Kraken curse and attributed it to the Seahawks dropping their head rushers. I mean, I, I personally felt like... Like, that was obviously a problem with the defense, but it was interesting. We fought about this last week where, where you were like the offline. Uh, That's correct. Uh, on, I don't know about fought about this. Well, you were basically like, if, if you don't drop your edge rushers, you get beaten by the other shit that the teams in the NFC West Well, I don't do. think it's necessarily an either or. But I think one thing people tend to see is they see the, they see the obvious problem, but not the benefit. Uh-huh. Because... It's it's like you know taking a pandemic seriously and not having a pandemic. If you yes. stop it, if you do it correctly, you never see it at all. Mm-hmm. So what the Seahawks, the reason that they went to this bare front in a three four type look, uh, even though obviously you're playing a lot of you know two four five or three three five a lot of the time in practice in the NFL is is ubiquitous as nickel is, is because they felt like that gave them more ability to stop the outside run zone run game of that the Rams and 49ers both like to employ, given kind of the common background of Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. And in particular, a lot of the end-around stuff that had been very successful against them is they tended to over-pursue the other direction. So it was Robert Woods carving them up with the Rams. It was Debo carving them up with the 49ers. So... That they did a really good job defending that type of stuff last year, and people don't talk about that because now you just talk about the new thing that's wrong. 
Like you don't pay attention to the problem that's solved, you pay attention to the problem that's in front of you. Now, the counter argument to this is, well, guess what? The Rams don't run that shit anymore. Yes. Debo Samuel is just a running back most of the time now. Yes. He doesn't run that shit anymore. So There's maybe you one should... play in the Super Bowl. So maybe it was an sh- important play that they ran that it shit. A, it was a very important play. Cooper Cup wasn't generally the problem for the Seahawks. There is an argument to be made that the Seahawks were overreacting to those plays against them. Oh, yeah, because it's demoralizing. Th- those plays, for some reason, completions over the middle of the field are more acceptable than giving up an end around. I mean, it's part of kind of like the the fallacy of football is just like plays that aren't actually that effective. Every run is a bad play. Basically. Not, not every run is a bad play. But basically... Every it, Rams run in the Super Bowl was a bad play. Almost any time the opposing team is running the ball, you've done something right to begin with. I You generally want to force the other team to run rather than pass. I agree with that. But, so, but, but as but we talked about during the UW football season... Like, just being beaten by repeated runs, it's viscerally so frustrating. It happens a little bit less in the NFL, but yes. Sure. And that's what Pete Carroll responds to, and that's why, by week two, there are going to be defensive linemen dropping into pass coverage. I mean, I don't know that those are the, like, the only thing Has the Seahawks schedule for next year been announced yet? Not the order of it. Okay, all right. I don't think that it's like an either or. Can't you can wait to see who they play in week one. They played well in week one. Does nobody remember this? <laughs> they crushed the Colts and then completely gave up on everything they did. I'm, I'm well aware. I was at the game. Me and Ben Baldwin at halftime of that game meeting in the terrace of the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium and just gleeful at watching... What Shane Waldron's offense getting unleashed, and it lasted for like one week. <sighs> Anyways, and then one, three weeks at the end of the season, mm-hmm. or two weeks at the end of the season. That was just because shot pick. Well, we'll see. No, hopefully, running hopefully. back matters. We'll see. <laughs> Me and Luke have had this fight many times. <laughs> I mean, I do think that there's a way to contain outside zone runs without also. Making Carlos Dunlap drop two thirds of the top plays, or not playing Carlos Dunlap, <laughs> or not playing Carlos Dunlap. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about KJ Wright's interview with Mike Sean Dugar and Christopher Kidd on the uh, the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, and you know he mentioned that you know they, I mean, they did the same stuff with the Bear Front at the end of the 2019 season when they were successful defending the pass as well. So it's not like these are necessarily either or. The issue was they replaced K.J. Wright, who's he was the one dropping, and he indicated that it was kind of predictable to the opponents where he was going to drop from because he was always going to be the one dropping mm-hmm. of the two outside linebackers in that set. And so there you had, you know, either of these two guys could rush, but it meant that whoever was dropping might be someone who was not very effective at dropping uh-huh. into coverage. Yeah. So there are other ways in terms of personnel you can manage this too. I mean, but I- I hope that Sean Asai with the Vic Fangio connection will be able to do something a little bit more interesting, though. We'll be able to mix things up with these fronts and make it a little bit less prediction, predictable. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what kind of effect that change has on their their personnel this offseason. He also mentioned more blitzing, which fits with kind of the reports that Pete Carroll wanted a more aggressive defense. That was part of the reason to let Ken Norton Jr. go as defensive coordinator. I, I just don't buy that Ken Norton is not pro-aggressive defense, though. It is strange, but 
I think clearly it wasn't Clint Hurt that was favoring these things. And if Pete Carroll was, he's changed his mind. Okay. So I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see, I mean, my general perspective about NFL defense is that blitzing is probably bad. Um, and I, I'd be curious to see, like, advanced statistics-wise, if that's actually the case. But I, I really don't buy that anything's changing at all. Yeah, I don't know what the conven- consensus is in the statistical community on blitzing. We'll need Ben Baldwin to uh, I, I still post like something for us. Coverage or pass rush from your defensive lineman is the most important thing. Now, obviously, sure. you're not getting that much pass rush from your defensive lineman if they're dropping back into pass coverage. That I can agree with. Well, in that case, they were linebackers, right? The, the most important, the biggest flaw that I saw through much of the season, though, was not having enough secondary players on the field. I, and, no, and, I don't think it was having enough. It was not having them in the right places. Or that too. But and, it still felt like 90% of the completions that happened last year were directly in front of Jordan Brooks. And like it bore out in the amount of tackles that Jordan Brooks had. He, he had a lot of tackles? That's not a good sign necessarily. I mean, especially I from where he was playing. In terms of the coverage flaws, this is not the thing they're changing to address the coverage flaws. It's bringing Carl Scott and using more pattern matching in the secondary. Hopefully. And, and I think Sean Desai will be a big part of that as well. Yes. Since that's his background as a secondary coach. Well, so. hopefully, as is uh, very important to us clearly, uh, the Seahawks defense next year will be like, when you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Wow. Wow, exactly. Uh, this window for using the franchise and transition tags in the NFL ahead of free agency opened Tuesday with a deadline of March 8th. Only legitimate Seahawks candidate is probably Quandre Diggs, but it would be pricey. Expected value of a franchise tag for a safety is $13.5 million per over-the-cap projection. It's all because the, the Seahawks it up with their Jamal Adams contract. Oh, no. I mean, it is, I'm sure, one of the average of, I, I don't know how many players at the position, highest paid players at the position it is, but undoubtedly Jamal Adams is the highest paid safety as part of that five. group. That sounds right. I don't know the specific number off the top of my head. <clears throat> well, Jamal Adams is number one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's in that top five. <laughs> he's, he's, is Quadra Dick said on Twitter today? He's top two, and he's not top two. So, yeah. Jamal Adams, Harrison Smith, Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, Eddie Jackson. Is Luca asking for us to call on him? Is yeah, that why he's got his Do you have a question? A lot of, lot of <laughs> off-microphone podcasts today. No, I have a comma. Oh, great. <laughs> It's NFL should make like NFL stat, stat cast. NFL stat cast? Yeah. Like, but like with like positioning averages and stuff like that. And like throw exit velocity. Oh, it's similar to baseball. I mean, they have some of this data. The NFL just doesn't like to give data to the public. Even more so than Major League Baseball in the NBA, the NFL does not like to give raw data to the public. For a long time, they kept the data, and they would only let teams get the data on their own teams, not the other 31 teams. That's how the NFL viewed it. So, It'll be interesting to catch up with people in Boston in a couple weeks and see see to what degree that's changed. It it would be pretty bold to pay. I mean, the Seahawks are probably going to do it. To pay a pair of safeties this kind of money. I mean, I, I think the expectation would be if you re-sign Quandre Diggs, it's not quite as high in average value and certainly not as high as 22, 2022 cap hit 
as 13.5 million, but it would be a larger, longer contract with a larger amount of guaranteed money. I mean, if you look at just, just glancing at these top safety salaries, you know, like the only team with two safeties anywhere near the top is the bills have two safeties whose salaries equal relatively close to one Jamal Adams. I mean, I don't think that, I also don't think they can let the sunk cost of the Jamal Adams contract dissuade them from bringing back Quandre Diggs, given their difficulty of finding a free safety the last time they tried to do that after they let Earl Thomas walk. God, the so. Jamal Adams contract. Everything about it. It's just like, oh, you know, good for Jamal Adams. <laughs> Most importantly, it's really nice for Jamal Adams. Yeah, good for Jamal Adams. Yeah. So. Well, oh, Lord. on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>